Hey, welcome everybody that's tuning in from wherever you are joining us. I know Fort Worth is back live. So is Houston. I think Northwest Arkansas is. Southampton is. Uh, and wherever you are, are listening and watching, we are, as JD just said, wrapping up the therapy series where for the last six weeks we've been looking at a huge issue in our culture right now. It was a huge issue before everything happened with COVID, but uh, specifically talking about mental health and COVID and everything that has happened with the lockdowns and, and challenges in society have only made that worse. So we have been jumping in. If you have missed this series, you can find all those on the Porch app. We covered four weeks on anxiety. We covered what it looks like to get healthy and deal with your baggage. And tonight we are, are launching into a really big issue that um, I'm going to have Hayden Browning, who's on our, our team. He's our worship leader, is going to help. And let me set up and frame it like this. Uh, my son is four years old and he, during COVID, has mastered the art of using Alexa. So he will find a song that he really likes, and all day long he will drive his mother insane by going up and saying, Alexa, play this song, and he'll have the same song play over and over and over again. One of the songs that we've been jamming to that most, I feel like churches, Christians, people in general were jamming even before COVID was Waymaker. You guys familiar with Waymaker? Like, like JD said, we've got some volunteers, some friends that are here. <clears throat> yeah, it's a great song, Waymaker, Promise Keeper, um, Hayden. Uh, is going to do a much better job because I've got some sort of bacterial infection. Break it off a little bit for us, Hayden. Give the people what they want. For anybody who doesn't know this song, how does the chorus go? Oh, the whole chorus. Yeah, whatever you want to give them. No uh, pressure. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. Okay, if you could get try a little harder. I don't feel like you're giving 100% on this. I'm totally kidding. All right, so my son will go up and he will jam. <clears throat> yeah, you're doing great, man. He'll go up and have Alexa play this song over and over. If you've heard the live version of this song, it ends in a really interesting way. I don't know if you've heard the live version because at the end of the song, he'll go off, the singer, and he'll begin to talk about how, you know, God's name is above X, Y, and Z. And it sounds a little bit like, give it to him. His name is above depression. His name is above cancer. Why are you lifting your chin so high like that? His name is above uh, loneliness. That's right. Oh, I love it. Just like that. You killed it, dude. It's just like that. We have copyright laws, so we can't actually scream. So Hayden is just our, you know, the face and, and the beauty and the voice. But he'll go up and he'll play that song. And at the end of the song, if you're not familiar with it, the live version includes that. And as a four-year-old, you don't know what depression is. You don't know what anxiety is. You know what loneliness is. But because he's a four-year-old, he's a sponge. So anything he hears, he repeats. It's like locked in his mind, which means when we're out in public, he begins singing songs kind of in general all the time. But we'll be out at the Lego store or at, you know, the neighborhood pool or out just, you know, at the park with people around. And he will begin singing the song and just immediately skip the entire thing and go right into his name is above depression with total strangers everywhere around us. I'm not kidding. Like I'm saying in the middle of the mall, look at the Lego thing. His name is above loneliness. His name is above depression. And everyone's face all of a sudden goes, because there's a four-year-old singing about depression and looking at his parents like, what sort of parents are you right now? What is going on? Because as weird as it is, you know, for anybody to talk about depression, Especially out in public, it's for sure weird when a four-year-old is doing it. And it's one of those topics that yes, he doesn't understand. Like he laughs and he sees the reaction and he's like, what is depression? And it's like, we'll talk about that later. But it's one of those subjects that it's a really weighty thing. And so it, it's unusual and you don't hear a lot of people 
move into that conversation. And yet it's also a really big issue in our world. So the fact that, you know, not a lot of people talk about it openly, and even more tragically, not a lot of places in church talk about it openly, is such a miss. Because millions of people around the country are dealing with this issue of depression. So tonight we're going to launch into a biblical framework on depression. When I say millions, I mean literally millions. And this was well before COVID had ever hit, and it's only gotten worse. According to the CDC, there's been a 47% increase in major depression diagnoses among young adults in the last 10 years. The generation right behind them are college students graduating. This is from a couple years ago. So the average 24, 25-year-old, they found that there has been a doubling of rates of anxiety, suicide, and depression. Americans, listen to this, are three times, or Americans consume three times more pills for anxiety and depression than the rest of the world combined. Hundreds of millions of prescriptions for antidepressants. The single most common prescription drug out there is in the category of antidepressants. Like it's everywhere. And it's an issue that not enough people have talked about and it's leading to devastating consequences and it's never been, uh, there's never been a generation more significantly impacted than young adults today. And as likely study after study is showing, it's, it's only, it's higher than it has ever been because of corona. It is more common to die of suicide than of homicide in America. It's more common to die of taking your own life than of somebody murdering you. Think about that. It's two times as likely. It's crazy. That means you are a bigger danger to yourself than any person in your life, statistically speaking. And generally speaking, the way that people end up in that place is because of a battle with this depression that they feel like they can't escape, that leaves them without hope. And yet it's not an issue that is a new issue. It feels new to us or it feels like heightened experiences of, of depression, but the Bible over and over talks about anxiety and it talks about depression. It talks about people experiencing tremendous level of sorrow and pain. And so this message is for anyone who's ever struggled with depression or anyone who has anyone in their life. Because when you're in that moment or for anyone listening who's been there, it feels like there's no hope. It feels like God is done. It feels like I can't control it. It's been said it's an emotional issue, but in a lot of ways, people in depression, they feel like, I don't have any emotions at all. And so what I want to spend the next 30 minutes doing is not solving and giving a one-stop shop for everyone's depression every time it's going to fix it. Here's the one cure. Nobody can do that. I want to give us a framework biblically to understand what depression is. What are some of the causes biblically of depression? And what are the ways or some of the ways that we combat depression. I wanted to call it the cure for depression, and I didn't think it was honest. I don't know that there is one cure that always works every single time, but I do know that God knows more about depression, sorrow, pain than any psychiatrist, any person in this world. And in his word, he talks about how we can have a framework to approach this subject. So we're going to look at specifically, if you take notes, what is depression, what causes it, what combats it. So let's first talk about what is depression. Depression, according to the dictionary, so let me start there. Oxford Dictionary says it is severe despondency and dejection. 
It's just sadness. Typically felt over a period of time, accompanied by feelings of hopelessness and inadequacy. It's related to the emotion of grief or sadness or sorrow, but those can be appropriate things and not necessarily bad things. There's times in life where it would be bizarre to not have grief. It'd be bizarre to not grieve after a loved one dies. It's not just grief, though. It's prolonged grief and sadness that doesn't go away. It's when sorrow stretches out for long periods of time. That's depression. It's when sorrow becomes a way of life. It's not just a phase. It can look like a lot of things in a lot of different ways it plays out. Sometimes people say, man, I just go to bed. I go to bed sad. I wake up sad. I can't shake this. It's what I constantly feel. Other times people describe it as, I just feel tired all the time. I don't even want to get out of bed. People will feel like, I I don't know who I am. I'm not myself. Like something is broken. Other times you'll hear people describe, I just have no motivation. And tragically, people describe, I don't know that I want to keep living anymore. And they'll play suicidal thoughts like, maybe there's no point to it at all. It can take a lot of different forms. But in the Bible, we also were introduced to people who walk through what today we understand is depression. Extended, prolonged series and phases of sadness. And these biblical examples, I'm just going to give a few of them because there's so many to list. We don't even have time to go. But here's what I want you to hear. These were kings. These were prophets. These were men who knew God and saw him do amazing things. These were men that God said, I'm going to have you write a book of the Bible. I'm going to have you write many, many sections of the Bible. And they saw God, as we'll see in a second, do incredible things. And yet they walked through serious, serious sorrow and depression in their life. And God included their stories and wanted them including. And one of the reasons, I think, is because he wants you to know if you're in that place, you're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. One of the people that experienced depression based on his own description was Job. If you don't know Job, uh, it's a book of the Bible. It's the oldest book of the Bible. It looks like if you were reading it, Job. It's not Job, it's Job. Job is a story all about suffering. It's the oldest book, like I said, in the Bible. Here's the big snapshot. Job was a guy who was a righteous man, we're told, before God. And God basically, he had a really blessed life. He had 10 kids, 10, seven sons, three daughters, had an amazing, essentially, business set up and operation, great home. Everything was great. And the one day, everything fell apart. In a matter of, of not even multiple days, his life collapsed. Somebody ran up and said, hey, These people just came from a foreign village and they stole everything. They killed all of your servants and they took all of the cattle and everything that you own. Be the equivalent of your business totally collapsing. And then somebody else runs up and they say, there was a great storm that came when you were out in the field and it hit your house and it collapsed and it killed all of your children. We read that or I read that and it's like, oh, that's kind of a crazy story. It's not just a story. It it happened. And he goes and he buries 10 kids in the ground. And then we're told that his body, like his body begins to war against him. He breaks out and boils, which is just this painful legions on his skin. And he feels like God is punishing him and against him. And he writes out some really depressing poetry in the midst of which he says this, something that I think some of us have felt or experienced can relate to. He says, depression haunts my days. It's Job chapter 30, verse 16. At night, my bones are filled with pain, which gnaws at me relentlessly. 
With a strong hand, God grabs my shirt. He grips me by the collar of my coat. He's thrown me into the mud. I'm nothing more than dust and ashes. I cry out to you, God, but you don't answer. I stand before you and you don't even look. Job's not describing what's true. He's describing what he feels. And he says, it feels like God just grabbed me by the shirt and threw me into the mud. Depression haunts all of my days. In other words, every single day is filled with nothing but depression. It feels like God is absent. He doesn't care. And he won't answer me. Job went alone. Elijah was a prophet, well-known. Uh, I wish we had time to go into more of his story, but he's a guy who saw God do incredible things. At one point, he basically places a bet with these false prophets, these men who worship a God that doesn't exist, and he was like, yeah, your God's not real, mine is, and let me show it to you. He calls down fire from heaven, and it consumes this altar, and he just saw God do amazing things. And then one day, he finds himself just exhausted that he's not sure that God is going to act in the way that he wants to. He's afraid for his life and he takes off and he just begins to experience suffering. And in the midst of that suffering, he finds himself saying, I don't want to live anymore. I mean, this is a guy who just saw God call or he just called fire down from heaven. And then shortly after, despite having seen that, he's saying, I, I don't even know that I want to live. First Kings chapter 19, verse four says this. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. God, I'm all alone. I can't take it anymore. I just don't want to live. There's no point. Some of you listening, like, you, you've felt that before. And you're not alone. David was called a man after God's own heart. He's another man that battled with depression. David wrote most of the Psalms. If you read the Psalms, you know, as, as you guys probably are familiar with, it, David is the most emo in the entire Bible. In one psalm, he's like, he's the greatest. This God's the best. And the next, he's like, where are you, God? Up and down and up and down. And yet God calls him a man after his own heart. That he would pour out, God, I feel like you've turned your back on me. My life is full of depression and sadness. In Psalm chapter 6, he says this, I'm worn out with sobbing, with crying. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with tears. My vision is blurred by grief. I'm just overwhelmed. I'm lying in bed and I'm sad and filled with depression and sorrow. And I can't even sleep because when I do, I just lay there and I'm overwhelmed with sadness. There's a guy most of you probably haven't heard of, called He-Man, son of Korah. What a great name, man, He-Man. How do we not know more about He-Man? He-Man wrote Psalm 88. Psalm 88 would have been a psalm, just like all the other psalms, that the book of Psalms is the Israelite Spotify list. These were the psalms that you go in to the temple and they would sing the psalms. And this psalm that he wrote has been described as one of the darkest, if not the darkest, words in the entire Bible where he lays out how he feels like God has abandoned and betrayed him. He says this, I'm forgotten and cut off from your care, God. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down and wave after wave, you engulf me. He feels like, man, I'm in this life. And he does what so many of us do when we're just in a bad place. We quickly turn and begin to point the finger at God. He's just expressing how he feels. He said, life, it's like, man, I'm, I'm already in the lowest place and it's like one wave hits me and another wave hits me and another wave hits me. 
And he ends the psalm by saying this. Darkness is my closest friend. That's in your Bible. I mean, this is well before Simon and Garfunkel with the, hello, darkness, my old friend. That came straight out of this dude's mouth. Psalm 88, verse 18. He says, I feel alone and in darkness. Jeremiah had a lifelong battle with depression. He was a prophet. We don't have time to go into his story either, but he wrote an entire book called Lamentations of his grief, his sorrow. The word Lamentations is lament. Here's the laments that I have, and he just pours his hat out to God. At one point in chapter 2, verse 10, he says, I've cried until the tears no longer come. My heart is broken. Jeremiah writes in the Bible, I've cried so much, there's nothing left to come out. My heart is broken. The Bible's not full of men who are immune or unaware of what it looks like to experience sorrow and pain. God included and had these included in the Bible so that you wouldn't be alone. You would know you're not alone. And it's one of those experiences that can come for anyone And God doesn't want you to experience it, but God also understands what you're walking through. What's crazy is, you know, my wife is a counselor, and psychology is is one of those fields that we are, um, we're just in the last like 50 years getting our arms around, trying to understand, trying to better understand specifically things like depression, clinical anxiety, all of that stuff. And as it relates to this topic, any doctor is essentially, they're going in, and because we're still trying to learn it, it impacts people differently, the way that it looks, and different people's lives looks different. I mean, they're practicing. They're doing what, you know, there's a reason they call it, here's my doctor's practice. They're just trying to understand and get their arms around it. But God fully understands it. It's like this, my, uh, my son is really into dinosaurs right now. I mean, like, he's all about dinosaurs. That's all we talk about. It's all the videos that we watch. It's, it's like constantly we're looking at dinosaurs. He's memorized more. Di- he memorized dinosaurs I didn't even know exist. Names that I'm like, how in the world did you even know that? Because of this, we'll constantly on the weekends or just kind of at times, who want to watch a, a YouTube dinosaur video? And, uh, and I'll try to find one that's not like just straight off of Jurassic Park of ripping some guy ahead so that his two-year-old sister is scarred. But we'll find some video, and it's often telling us about dinosaurs. His favorite, of course, the T-Rex. It's everybody's favorite. We watch these videos, and uh, as I, you know, have continued to watch these with them, I I just am reminded of how little we actually know about these things. Like, we're just kind of guessing. We're taking hypotheses. We could be right. We could be wrong. Who really knows? Nobody does. And why I say that is the video we watched this past weekend, or one of them, was related to the Tyrannosaurus Rex. Here's a picture of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. If you notice, he's got very small arms. And people will begin to think, like, hey, why did he have such small arms? Because they've proven, hey, he can't even scratch his face. He got something stuck in his teeth. He ain't getting out with his hands. Like, they're just very little tiny arms that are there. So people hypothesize, why did the T-Rex have such small arms? It just doesn't make sense. And they throw these hypotheses out. And the most recent one has clearly pulled the veil back of like, I don't know that you guys know what you're talking about here. You're clearly just guessing. Why do I say that? The most recent hypothesis is that the reason they had such small arms was not to hunt, was not to do anything with, was not to just scratch you know, their stomach, which is about all that they can do, but in order to attract a mate. Here's how. 
they would embrace tickling, where they would go up to another Tyrannosaurus, I'm not kidding, you Google it right now. Another, and they're like, we solved it. That's why they're so little. They would go up and they would tickle the person or the dinosaur of the opposite sex. And that was to do something like, hey, girl, how you doing? Okay. And that is the leading theory on Tyrannosaurus Rex. Look, that may be true. I don't know if it's true or not. But I at least know you don't know if it's true. You ain't got no video of some dinosaur going up to somebody. It's totally a guess. You even look in the hypothesis and they're like, we really don't know. I mean, we're just throwing stuff against the wall at this point. A lot of times that can be the way that in, in terms of psychology, there, science and psychologists, and it's an amazing field. I already said I'm married to a counselor. I believe in what she does. I'm just saying we're, they're still figuring it out. They don't fully understand how all of it works, but God does. He knows what you're feeling. He knows better than you even know yourself. The depths of the hurt, what you're walking through. And he wants you to know you're not alone. So if that's... A snapshot of what depression can look like. What causes depression? Because here's the truth, whether you believe me or not, there's a reason you're depressed. There's a reason your mom is depressed. There's a reason someone in your life is walking through depression. And so getting to the root of, man, what is causing that is crucial to addressing not just the symptoms of what I feel, but the source that's causing those feelings. Psalm 42 is a really honest psalm written by David. And in it, three times, he asks the question, why are you downcast? Why are you depressed, O my soul? Why are you disturbed? What's wrong with you? Put your hope in God. He says it three times in less than 10 verses. And he's asking the question, that is the question, I think, for anybody who's battling depression or anybody's walking through that, of asking, like, what is going on? Why am I stressed? Why am I depressed? Why am I anxious? What am I feeling? Like, what's causing this? There's a number of reasons, biblically, that could be behind it. One reason that oftentimes people can find themselves moving into depression, and I have so much sympathy. And like God, I hate that you are finding yourself there or that you are there in a place where you don't want to be, neither does God want you to be. But asking the question like, man, what could be behind this? What is causing this? In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, Solomon says, there's a cause behind some depression and it's anxiety. He says this, listen to this verse. This is a verse that only in the last 75 years, psychologists have discovered, oh yeah, that's actually true. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Solomon knew what people today are just figuring out that anxiety and depression, like they often go together. Prolonged, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, leads to depression. This was written 3,000 years ago. And any psychologist or anybody in that field will tell you today, those are often really linked. That can be a, a clear cause. It, if you don't believe me, like think about it. If you know anybody who's, who's walked through either of those issues, they're often diagnosed the same medication from a doctor, where they're like, oh, you're anxious? Here, take this pill. Oh, you're depressed? Here, take the same pill. Because even psychology knows there's a relationship between the two of those. So taking the step, if that's where you are, and you go, man, I think there is, like there's just like some fear that is buried really deep that I've been suppressing and holding back and not dealing with and I'm afraid of, 
And it's making me feel out of control and depressed. If you're going to experience freedom from that, you've got to at least address what are those fears? What is that anxiety? And begin to work through that. It can also be caused by circumstances. Like really hard, messed up, painful circumstances. Like someone in your life died. Like your mom got breast cancer and the chemo, it worked once and then it went away and then it came back and she's not here anymore. She was supposed to be at your wedding. She was supposed to be in your life. And it spun you into a place where you're, you're questioning everything. I mean, it's stuff that, uh, as simple as like a breakup. You're dating the person, you were like, I thought we were going to be together for the rest of the rest. Like you and me, ride or die forever. And then the relationship ends up going in a different direction. And there are a few things. I mean, breakups are horrible. And it can lead to a discouragement that eventually turns into a depression. That If you're going to experience freedom from moving out of that, identifying what could be causing that. And it could be circumstances that have caused it. Maybe there's a, a diagnosis with an autoimmune disease that just feels like you're going crazy because you talk to doctors and they can't exactly pinpoint it and you just have these symptoms and it just makes you feel like so overwhelmed, life will never be the same and depressed. Maybe it's just disappointment with where things are. Like life is incredibly hard and sad and God is good, but this world is broken. And it's full of disappointments for everybody. 2019 was probably the hardest year of my life. Well, at least the last eight years. I'd been working in ministry for 10 years with one of my best friends. And then I'd been working in ministry for five years with another one of my best friends. I mean, we were like thick as thieves. One of them was named JP, who you've probably heard of if you've been around here at all. Another one was named Garrett. And within six months, God called both of them to go lead at another place. Now on the outside, the pastor should say, and I was pumped. I was like, it was awesome. This is what God's doing. I'm so pumped. But that's not what I felt at all. And these were guys that we were like, we're going to do this forever. I mean, this is going to be, this is what we're going to do. And we worked together every single day. We spent more time together than anybody that I know. And in a moment, it was like my heart ripped apart. And God called these men away. And I found myself wondering, like, God, what are you doing? What am I doing with my life? Like, am I depressed right now? Feeling like, man, I, I'm surrounded by people and God is good and I'm teaching, but I feel so alone. And had there not been people in my life that could easily have spun me into a depression, it's not just caused by circumstances. It can be caused by unconfessed sin or undealt with sin. David says in Psalm 32, he's talking about hiding an affair. He said, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. I was depressed. Day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Unconfessed sin can lead to a depression in your life. You're sleeping with your boyfriend. You're doing something that you just kind of keep hidden to yourself. And God in his mercy allows, you're not going to experience joy in this life. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. It can lead to depression. 
I'm not saying that all depression or even most depression is a result of unconfessed sin. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying, but it can be. Sometimes it's guilt from a, a past, you know, it's a past abortion, past sexual sin, past something that you regret from your, your life and you've never dealt with it or you've never accepted God's forgiveness. You've never actually walked in like God's grace. I'm forgiven. I'm not defined by those things. I'm a Christian, which means Jesus and what he did on the cross. I am forgiven. I will walk in that and I will believe that and I will embrace that. And guilt can lead to a place of depression. And then the last category I would just say is, is struggles. I don't know how to put this. It, not necessarily sin. Sometimes it's wiring. But this type of thing can lead to a depression. One of those would be, so there's a few of them, perfectionism. Perfectionism can be a wiring that leads to this place of, of man, I'm just I'm depressed because I'm anxious and I'm stressed. And things are not perfect and I'm overwhelmed in this life. And if you live that way in that mindset, it's a recipe for depression. Because we live in a broken world and everybody, according to the Bible, has fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody is perfect, including you. And if you critique everything that you do and you constantly criticize and you constantly beat yourself up, you're going to find yourself eventually depressed. You know that the average person, this is a Cornell study that came out a couple years ago, and it found that the average person makes 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000. It found that they make hundreds of decisions as it relates to food and what they eat alone. 35,000 decisions on, hey, this is when I'm going to go to bed. This is when I'm going to brush my teeth. This is when I'm going to take off my shoes. This is what, all these different decisions. Do you expect yourself, when it comes to those decisions, to be perfect every single time? That's crazy. 35,000. You don't think you're going to miss once? You've got to give yourself some grace. There's no perfect world, can't expect heaven on earth, and perfectionism will lead to depression. If you do expect yourself to be perfect all 35,000, you probably have the second struggle, which is narcissism, where you expect that you are going to be perfect every time, or you're just a focus on yourself and self-obsession that can look like two ways. It can be self-pity, I'm so terrible, I'm so disappointed, no one cares about me, or an arrogance that is a, hey, look at me, I'm so great, these people don't even know how great I am. Both of those can lead to depression. This is one of the most common causes, I think, in the last 10 years of working with young adults, over and over, people, not every person, but a focus and obsession with self, it will make you depressed. You weren't made to live that way. And focusing on your job, my money, my car, you hurt me, you don't care, me, 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 will lead to depression. In place of narcissism, the Bible says you and I are to walk in humility. It says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Like humility, as we've said before, is not thinking bad about yourself, like I'm horrible, I'm a nobody. That's narcissism. Humility is not thinking of yourself at all. A humble person is focused on the needs of other people around them. Not lost thinking about themselves, but lost in the needs of other people around me. Today, somebody on my team was sharing about how one of the things that helped me in my anxiety was that I began to focus on the needs of other people around me and I stopped being so worried about myself. Narcissism is one of those things that just like in that case with anxiety will lead to depression. Two more would be comparison. Constantly comparing. And this man, our world is so 
we've just like created this environment where we are set up to constantly be focused on other people, comparing ourselves to others. Like social media has only made this worse. And um, as I was thinking about it, it's not just that it's made it worse because I'm looking at the highlight reel of somebody else. It's because every time that you look at social media, and I do, think about when you do. When do you look at social media? When you're bored? When you're sitting in a light? When you're waiting for somebody to call you back? When you have nothing to do? Like nobody, nobody looks on social media when they're, you know, surfing a wave in Maui. You look at it whenever you're bored. When do you post on social media? Whenever you're like, look at me, world. Woo, look how great my life is. So we have two competing things where the person looking is looking because they're bored. And the person posting, like nobody posts like, just getting my Chipotle, sitting at this traffic light right here. Look how awesome my life is. Unusual people post that. Most of us post like, I want to show you my highlight reel. So we have people that we're comparing, not just like different stages, but different moments. I'm literally seeing your highlight reel whenever I'm bored. And you're seeing my highlight reel whenever you're bored. It's a recipe for comparison and for depression. And the last one would be burnout. It's not an exhaustive list of everything that causes depression, but burnout, if you run at a pace that is unsustainable, it will land you depressed. Where you're constantly going, constantly going, constantly going from one thing to the next, from work to happy hour, from happy hour to some party, to something else, to checking your phone, to staying up late, and it'll burn you out and cause depression. In order to solve it, you've got to address the roots. When I was getting married, or no, not when I was getting married, when I started dating my wife, on my ring finger, this is such a weird illustration, but it's going somewhere. On my ring finger, I had like four warts. I know, it's gross. There's a point to this story. I mean, like, dude, it was bad. It was like, I am not ever going to get married, and clearly this is a sign from God because I, I can't get rid of these things. And you may be thinking, oh, we'll just go to CVS and get some wart remover. Did that about 20 times. But these things just kept coming back with a vengeance. Eventually, I had to go to multiple doctors that had to go in, and I had to get on medicine. That's, there's, there's apparently wart medicine you can take that helps go in and kill it. And then they had to go in with some cryo freezing technology that drills all the way into your finger and gets out by the roots those warts in order for them to go away. Because if you don't get them by the roots, they're only going to come back. A lot of times they come back even worse. When it comes to impression or depression or anxiety, as we've talked about, but tonight, depression, if you don't get to the source, it's going to continue coming back and coming back. And this is like one of the, the not dangers, but qualifiers to know about medication. Medication doesn't help you get to the source of what's causing depression. It addresses the symptoms of how I feel in a moment, but it doesn't allow you or it doesn't focus on getting to the source. My point is not you should not take medication or no one should ever take medication or medication is wrong. No, that's not my point. There are appropriate times. God gave us Advil and he gave us different antidepressants at different times. My point is that it doesn't treat the source. So if that's all you do, your recipe is going to lead you to continually need to have something to treat the symptoms, not the source of your depression. As a believer and a Christian, as we've talked about before, there are times where it could be appropriate or is appropriate to take medication, but not at the expense or not without the two-pronged approach of God's word, living authentically with God's people, seeking to walk with him and dealing with that. And then there are times to supplement or be a part of that, but as a supplement, not a replacement for what God calls us to in Scripture. All right, so how do you combat, final point, how do you combat depression? So the cure, I'm sorry, so the cause of it, we looked at what it is, what's the cause, how do we combat it? 
as Christians, your whole life, not even as people, like your whole life is related to one another. In other words, there's a holistic approach in order to combat depression that we are to take as it relates to fighting and continuing to fight against depression. You can't just, it's not just, hey, read more Bible verses and that'll fix your problem every time. There's a connectedness between your physical body, between the decisions, between how much sleep you're eating, how much sleep you're getting, what you're eating, your just kind of lifestyle in general. To, there's a spiritual dimension. There's all types of dimensions. So I want to look at how we combat it physically, spiritually, communally, and patiently. I'm going to walk through all of those physically. There's an aspect where you and I are to fight depression physically. In other words, your life is directly impacted by the physical choices that you make. Like, like uh, this morning, this is such a common thing. This is like just young adult life. Uh, you stayed up late last night, you were watching the Sailing Sunsets or the Umbrella Academy or whatever it was, and you stayed up way too late, but man, you just couldn't turn it off. And all of a sudden, despite the fact you wanted to go to bed at 10, it's 11.45, you're up way too late. So then at, this morning, rather than get up and have a quiet time, you overslept, you hit the thing, you get the sleep out of your eyes, you run out the door, you throw on your clothes, you drive through Starbucks, you get a latte and that little you know, cake donut thing that they have, and all of a sudden you're jam-packed with caffeine and sugar, you're sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic, rushing to work. you got music blaring from the radio uh, on in the car. You finally get to your job. You run in your cubicle. You throw in your AirPods, and you sit there at the job that you're not sure that you really like until about 10.30. Then you go get a monster from the you know, vending machine, and you're jam-packed with caffeine. You're stressed and overwhelmed, and you wonder why you're depressed because it's all connected. Like, in other words, you can't just separate those things. And maybe that's not life for you at all because COVID has got you locked up at home. And you sit at home every single day and you get up and you don't go anywhere. You just, you know, go to the, the pantry and you get your frosted flakes and you eat that and you sit on the couch and you work on your pajamas all day long. You never see any people. You don't go out and see the sun. And you're like, man, I just feel like I'm a little more depressed lately. Are you serious? There's an interconnectedness. God created you as a human with a body and a soul that are deeply connected together. So as it relates to physically addressing Things like sleep, exercise, going outside, sleep. God wants you to sleep. There are times where it is totally, you know, appropriate to get up at four in the morning, and there are times where it is appropriate to go to bed at nine o'clock at night and turn off Netflix and get sleep. Psalm 127 says that God grants sleep to those he loves. Exercise. There is a statistical proven link between anxiety and depression being combated with exercise. The National Health Service in the UK revealed that aerobic exercise like running has the same effect on your body as antidepressants. It's published in the Journal of Psychiatry and Neuroscience in 2007. God created Adam and Eve and he put them in a garden in Genesis chapter 2 and he said, go out and work the garden. That you and I were not created to sit in a cube for 12 hours a day staring at a screen. And you've got to move your body. Even in talking to a, a, a psychologist or a therapist for this series, he was like, man, one of the things I always say, you've got to make sure they're in community. They've got to make sure they're doing this. And they've got to make sure they're exercising. If they're not doing those things, they can take all the medication they want, but they're never going to get to a place where they're healthier. So sleep, exercise, all underneath the banner of physical. I already said go outside. Vitamin D, there's a reason why Oregon and Alaska are two of the states in the country with the highest levels of depression and suicide. There's not a lot of sun for half the year in Alaska. Vitamin D is a part of that. And this isn't some just tips and tricks. It is how you were created. You weren't created to live in a cave, sit in your underwear, eating frosted flakes all day by yourself. And there's a connectedness physically. 
Research has shown that there are strong links between exposure to natural light and the serotonin system. In other words, we need light to be happy. All right, so not just physically, even more important is spiritually. That addressing at a mental level and spiritual and soul at a heart level where we're believing lies and addressing them with God's word and the truth. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 through 6 says this. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons we have have divine powers to demolish strongholds. Some of you feel like depression is a stronghold in your life. And one of the ways that we combat that stronghold is with weapons that God has given us. Not weapons like the world, like a sword and a spear and a bow, but weapons like the word of God and like prayer. We demolish arguments and every pretension, he says, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought that we have. Every sad thought, every anxious thought, every happy thought, every mad thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. So I take God's word, and I take the thoughts that I have, and I begin to go, man, what would God's word say about this thought? I wake up in the morning, and I'm so depressed and sad, thinking about the thoughts that, man, maybe I'll never get married for the rest of my life, or maybe I'm going to lose my job, or what happens if they get COVID, and I can't believe that. And I have two options when those thoughts begin to come into my mind. I can take option one and go down that road and keep feeding those anxious thoughts, keep feeding those depressed thoughts, and I can run in that direction. Or I have option two, and I can say, hey, what would God's word say about this thought? I'm going to make this thought obedient to Christ. Am I going to be single or alone for the rest of my life? No. God's word would say that I've never been alone. God will never leave me nor forsake me. I'm going to hold on to that. God's word also says this life is a vapor. So even if I'm single for the rest of my life, I'm going to be with Christ for all of eternity. And I can handle and I can face anything. God will not let me endure or face more than I can handle. I have two choices in those moments. I can take the thought and make it captive or I can feed the depression and the depressing thoughts and run in that direction. Part of combating spiritually is to begin to think about your thoughts. It's been said that the average person has 50,000 thoughts a day. Beginning to diagnose, what are you thinking about? And I'm going to take those thoughts and I want to say, what would God say about these things? In Psalm 42, as we've already talked about, David begins to say, man, why are you downcast on my soul? Why are you so depressed? Why are you so discouraged? And at the end of the psalm, he does something really bizarre. At the end of that, that verse, I'll read it again. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Why are you so disturbed? Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise you. The psalmist is asking these questions, and he's like, man, I'm so depressed, and I'm so discouraged. And he speaks to himself and says, put your hope in God. You're so depressed. Put your hope in God. He's talking to himself. Part of as Christians, what we begin is we to have thoughts that flood our minds every day. We begin to go, hey, what would God's word say is true? I'm going to hold on to what is true. That's more important than what I feel. I'm holding on to what is true. It's more important than what I feel. A pastor named uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a British pastor who battled depression for decades. And he said that this is, in this psalm, we're confronted with the fact that there's a truth that a lot of us by learning to do, will combat the battle that takes place in the mind. He says this, Have you not realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? The man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of listening to himself when he woke up in the morning and all the flooded thoughts that popped in that he didn't decide to have, he began to speak to himself. He stands up and says, Self, 
Listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Put your hope in God. So the first part is by battling at a thought level with the truth. And the second part is involved in prayer. And this is really important. We're about to land the plane. We're almost done. But part of spiritually combating the issue of depression is prayer, talking to God. That's all that prayer is, spending time. I mean, in mindfulness, and this is a huge deal, and now there's apps being created, and people are like, yeah, it's so crazy. You like sit there, meditation, you kind of pause, still, quiet. It's called prayer. You're just not talking to God. You're just trying to avoid thinking thoughts. Only prayer works more effectively. And you'll experience a directing of your mind in a peace that comes over. We've already talked about it in weeks past, but even study, there was a recent study done at a Baylor Research Center that found that a person who spends time consistently in prayer every day to a loving God, in other words, they said if they pray to someone they don't believe is a loving God, it won't have the same effect. But if they pray consistently to a loving God every day, there's a dramatic, I'll just read it so I don't butcher it. Researchers from Baylor University found that people who pray to a loving and protective God are much less likely to experience anxiety-related disorders, fear, worry, self-consciousness, social anxiety, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and on, compared to people who really don't pray to receive any comfort or any protection from God. In other words, those who spend time consistently praying and bringing the things that you're afraid of, bringing the things that you're scared of, waking up in the morning and saying, God, this is everything on my plate. This is what I feel. I'm so alone right now. I'm so scared right now. I'm so sad right now. I'm anxious right now. I'm excited right now. I'm distracted right now. I feel shame right now. But I know you love me. Research says brain scans showed it changes that person's brain. They begin to experience less anxiety and anxiety disorders like depression in their life. So spiritually combating it with God's word, spending time in prayer, honestly, and pouring out your heart to God. Some of you, let me just move quick. You need to journal. You're not very good with your thoughts. You need to write them out in front of you. You're talking to God and just say, this is what I feel. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm afraid of. This is what I feel. And journaling and praying. And then finally, two more. Practicing things, and I don't love this phrase, but it's that stir your affections for God. Things that in the midst of, man, I'm feeling sadness. Go on a walk. Go outside. Go see whatever nature and beauty is around you. If you live in Dallas, find a lake. But do something that whatever makes you be like, man, God is big. I love him and I trust him. And I can't tell you what all of those things are. But practicing those things and also practicing gratitude. And some of you, you're in a place where you're listening and you're like, gratitude? You have no idea. I can't even get myself out of bed right now. Practice. I want to challenge you. One thing. If you're, if you're in a great place, do a thousand things. But if you're like, I can't do anything, do one thing. Say, God, I'm thankful for this one thing. If you're like, well, I'm not thankful. Thank him that you're able to process what I'm saying to you right now. Thank him that you're still alive because that means he's not done with you. Thank him for whatever you want. Fill in the, thank him for the fact that you have a tongue, an eye, whatever it is. It's an endless list. But if you begin to practice that, it takes your eyes off of everything you don't have and puts them on gratitude or a gratefulness towards God. So that's the spiritual dimension. And then finally, communally. So physically, spiritually, communally. You've got to have people in your life. The worst thing you can be if you're depressed is alone and isolated. And it's the thing you want to do most, and it's the thing that you need to do least. You've got to have people in your life who you can open up to, who you can call at 1 a.m. and say, man, I'm really struggling with these thoughts. I don't know that there's any point in keeping going. You've got to have those people in your life. We all have to have them. 
But to walk through depression alone is a recipe to continue to walk through depression. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says this, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. The Greek word for burdens is the word barrios. It literally, it, it gives the picture of, hey, there are certain things. It's a word for cargo or for luggage. And he says, there are things in your life, they're too heavy for you to carry on your own. You've got to have other people that can help you carry them. This is why we hit on church membership. We hit on small groups. You've got to have people like I do, like everyone in this room does, like everybody on our staff does, that know where you're not okay. It's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to have people who don't know the places in your life. You're not okay. If you don't have anybody in your life, and tonight you're at a place where you don't know what to do, here's, I'm going to give you an answer. And somebody from our team, we're going to follow up with you. You can go to the porch.live forward slash prayer. You didn't get in a small group. You don't have a church. You're totally isolated. I don't know what your story is, but you are not alone. And someone on our team, we will call you this week. Go to the porch.live forward slash prayer. You're not alone. You're loved. You're cared for. God is not done with you. And you can go fill out there any way that we can pray for you. You can just say, talk. And someone will reach out, pray with, talk with, do anything that we can to help. Finally, dealing with it patiently. That healing takes time. We live in a microwave world with Instacart, Instagram, Uber Eats, and Insta everything, and microwave. And I wish there was a one-stop shop because I know in my heart breaks, you don't want to be depressed. You didn't ask for it. You can't even fully explain it. And if there was a button you could push, you would push it. And we don't just wait spirit, or don't, we don't just combat it physically and spiritually and communally. We also do it patiently. With the hope of eternity coming. Jesus is a great healer. He's called that in the Bible. And you can bring those things to him and call out to him in prayer and ask him to take it away. And I wish I could promise that he always does or he always will, but I can't. I do know that he's promised everything. Romans 8 tells us he will work together for good. Everything. That means anxiety. That means depression. That means everything. And in the meantime, he's saying, you can trust me. And you can have hope. And hope is one of those things that in the midst of you're depressed, Hope is one of the few things that can help pull you out of that depression. Like your story is not done. And in fact, Paul says, man, do you know as Christians, because of the hope that we have of eternity, it puts everything that we face in this life into perspective. We can handle it because it's not worth comparing. It's painful and it's hard and it's sad and it's overwhelming and it's broken as things feel. Paul would say, it's not even worth comparing to what awaits us in eternity. Like it, it feels really big right now, but that's just because of what you're comparing it to. Like it's, it's like this. It's the best illustration I could think of earlier today. Like this is, this is a box. And if I was to say like, is this a big box? Most people would probably say, oh no. Unless I was like, well, it really depends on what you compare it to. Compared to a nickel, it's a pretty big box. If I was going to put a wedding ring in it, it'd be like, well, that's a little bit of a big box. It really depends on what you're comparing it to. When you take it over here and you compare it to this, it's clearly not a big box. 
The Apostle Paul says, in light of what awaits us in eternity, and it feels huge to you. It feels like, man, this is so big. It's so out of control. It's so, like, uh, this is my life. This is my pain. This is my depression right now. Paul would say, hey, in light of eternity and what awaits us, as big as whatever it is feels to you right now, it doesn't even compare to what lays ahead for you and me. And as big as it feels, he says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 17. I consider the present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. He says, man, as big and as hard and as difficult and as painful as it is, as much as it feels like it's, it's consumed life, he says, man, it's not even worth comparing towards what's going to happen for all of eternity, whatever is in front of you, or I'm sorry, what is in front of all of us as believers Forever and ever and ever with God in perfect paradise where no depression will ever exist because God's going to heal it either in this life or the next. And it's not even as big as it is worth comparing because there's something way bigger that puts it in perspective. In conclusion, you've got to get to the cure of whatever's behind that or the cause of what's ever behind that. Depression. And then we combat day after day, after day, until Christ ultimately heals it. Sometimes it happens in this life, sometimes in the next. My heart breaks just in studying this. I told somebody it, it felt like I was going into Heath Ledger and the Joker of, of just, man, my heart breaks for so many people who are walking through depression. And they can't explain it, and they don't want it, and they, they feel so alone, they feel unknown, they feel hopeless. And I know as much as my heart breaks for people that are listening, I know there are thousands that will hear this message who are in that place right now. As much as my heart breaks, here's something I know to be far much more true. Christ, Jesus' heart breaks. He knows the pain that you're walking through. He knows everything that you're facing. He knows how overwhelmed that you feel. And he cares about you far more than I do or anybody does or even you care about yourself. And not just that. He also is someone who is well acquainted with sadness and depressing feelings and thoughts while he lived on this planet. Like if you read the story of Jesus, you'll discover he lived like a really, really hard life. He didn't have a home. He had people, he had friends that betrayed him. He walked through this life in incredibly painful fashion. And the scripture tells us in Isaiah chapter 53, here's how it describes the son of God when he lived on the planet. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. In the Garden of Gethsemane, hours before he would go be crucified on a cross, he's sitting there and he's praying with his closest friends and he says, my soul is crushed. Mark chapter 14, verse 34. My soul feels crushed to the point of death with grief. He doesn't just care about you and love you and know. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us he is a merciful high priest who walked through and had an incredibly painful life. He's not immune to the pain. He knows what you feel. And in that same section, Hebrews chapter 4, it says because of that, we have a merciful high priest that when you and I go to him and we are filled with sadness and we're filled with despair and we don't know what to do, he's a priest that is merciful to our weaknesses. You're not alone. God is not done. You've got to get up. 
Your life is not over. You should not end it. God is not done with you. There are plans he has for you. And you don't have to get into that. There is hope. And you can find hope. And whatever you're facing does not compare to what awaits you in all of eternity. And that same God who experienced the deepest level of grief would later go die on a cross to defeat the depression inside of your life, to defeat depression inside of our world. And he rose from the grave three days later, proving our hope is alive. He's alive. Depression is on an expiration date. Death has been defeated and it's not over. And you got to listen to me. You got to listen to me. He's not done with you. Depression has been defeated. I'm not saying it will always be easy in your life, but God is not done. You could get up. You've got to get up. You've got to start taking those steps. He's not done with you. He defeated it on the cross. He'll ultimately do away with it in all of eternity. And the hope that we have puts into perspective the pain that you're walking through. Because we have a living Savior. That means we have a living hope. Hope is the one thing that in the darkness, without Things only get worse. It's not done. And if you're a Christian, he died on that cross for everything you've ever done. And he set on the calendar. This is when depression expires. I don't know when that day will be, but I know it will not plague his people forever. And though sorrow lasts for the night, joy is coming the morning and our king when he returns. And in the meantime, we combat, we find the cause, and we fight and we walk together. Let me pray. Father, I know that there are people listening who have a sibling who is depressed, who have a parent or a grandparent who is depressed, who knows someone who has taken their own life, who have wrestled with thoughts of taking their life, who have found themselves in a darkness where they feel like darkness is their only friend. There is no light around them. They can't see what you're doing. And so I pray, God, right now, you would be bigger than the pain, bigger than the sorrow, bigger than the sadness. You would break through and flood the darkness with your light. They would feel at, at a soul level, your spirit, you're not done with them. It's not over. There's hope a hope that doesn't fail and a hope that is alive. And you don't cast them away, you have mercy towards them. You felt pain and deepest grief on this life. And they can bring their sorrows, they can bring their depression, they can bring all of that because your name is above all of it. And like a four-year-old child in the midst of a store, we can shout knowing your name has defeated and will defeat and ultimately has done away with and is ending depression. And I pray that would happen in the lives of people. Would we hold on if the story you write is different than that and hold on to hope, a hope that's alive. In Christ's name, amen.